Chapter 7. Two Sneaky Blues Freddy Lowndes was waiting outside for him when he descended the steps. He knew because a camera was shoved unceremoniously in his face, the flash blinding him for several seconds. Will Graham out of retirement in order to catch a killer, she said, lowering her camera. In the bright light of day, he knew she'd use the flash in order to disorient him, give herself a few moments to try and get control of the situation. She had two stunning, matching baby blues that were wide-eyed, like she'd miss something if she blinked. He pushed past her and kept walking, pawing at his pocket for his phone to call Beverly and have her look up references to a great red dragon. His skin still tingled from the close proximity to Lecter, and he resisted the urge to touch fingers to his lips. "'I won't talk to you, Freddy,' he snapped. "'It must be bad for Crawford to hunt you down and ask for help, huh?' They even have you going after another one for insight. She kept pace and he lengthened his stride, glancing up to the fat, puffy clouds that witnessed his struggles with silent mockery. Lounge, you're a lying sack of shit and your newspaper is trash, he said, and his voice spiked, jumped. Is this the first killer they've had you profile since? Lounge. Will rounded on her and glared, from her paisley tights to her plaid skirt and her hideous chiffon skirt. Get out of my face. Just one conversation, she urged him, unheeding of the way his hands curled to fists. Come on, let me get the first story out there and we can tell them whatever it is you want the public to know. I want them to know you're a two-bit hack that couldn't cut it at a real job, so you fell into shit editorials writing bad advertising for Miracle Cream until they let you get a small spread on the back page because you had a penchant for lying. Then, desperate to catch a break, you snuck into the hospital I was staying at, and you took a fucking photo of me in a hospital bed while I was sleeping, so that you could get the scoop on the case to up sales. You gonna tell them that, Freddy? Huh? Freddy stared at him, and the wind tousled her hair, the scent of suave watermelon shampoo strong. Her baby blue eyes widened, then narrowed. She had a way of pursing her lips like she was a fox, nose turned to the scent. She laughed a gentle huff of breath, and she tilted her head, tucking a strand behind her ear. You haven't changed a bit, she said, pocketing her camera. It wasn't a compliment. I'll see you around. The hell you will, he growled, and he strode away in his car once she was gone, gripping the steering wheel tightly in an effort to ground himself and calm down. He hated Freddy Lowndes, an understatement. After Garrett Jacob Hobbs, his stint in the psychiatric hospital had been kept quiet, respected. Not for Freddy. She climbed the fence, picked the lock to a side door, and found her way into his room where he slept. Photos of his gaunt face and the scar along his neck in stark relief to the gloom. 
Tatler had boasted record sales after that spread, and Freddy Lowndes went from back page, six-inch column, to front page work. That was after she'd snuck into his hospital room to get a good photo of his colonoscopy bag and stomach scar, courtesy of Garrett Jacob Hobbs. She had a penchant for unwanted flash photography. He called Jack for the distraction, and to relay news. Jack picked up on the first ring. It's not Buge, but we brought Buge in, he said by way of greeting. Freddy Lowndes is, what? I went with a couple of Baltimore cops to question the bastard, and when I stepped outside to take a call, I came back to one of them dead on the floor, and the basement door open. Found the other officer dead, and Buge tried to get me with some violin wire. Will chewed on his bottom lip, mouth working. Outside, he watched a man smoking on the bench, and the couple beside him resented it. Their misery and refusal to speak up ruminated in the smoke overhead. All three of them were troubled with unsaid words. So was he, but at least he had a car as a barrier. I was only gone three hours, he told Jack quietly. Three is enough, Jack replied. You okay? He didn't get me, Jack assured him. He's missing an ear now, though. A true punishment for a musician. There's human remains here, but it's all intestines, and not just from two people. We've got him in custody, and we've got fingerprints, saliva, you name it. He's killed people, but he's not the one. Looks like he was making strings out of human remains. Cats called it cat gut strings. Rather than kill a cat, he harvested from man, Will said. Well, we've got him, and a whole basement full of enough to lock him up good. Jack would have sounded triumphant if he didn't sound so tired. Two dead cops for one living killer. A bad trade, no matter who was concerned. He's not the one, Will echoed, and he drummed fingers on the steering wheel. But he is one. Good eye, Will. You found a killer without even really looking. I only looked because he sounded like a killer, Will said. He had the knack for it in Lecter's notes. Either way, next stop is tracking down Francis Dolarahide. Bastard better behave a little better. About the dragon. Can you have someone look into historical references to a red dragon? I have something that I think I can use. Lecter give you a, what'd you call it, a bone? Of a sort, Will said distractedly. He turned the car over and pulled away, heading towards the hotel. He left behind the smoker and the unhappy couple, although he couldn't leave behind Lowndes' words and her knowing sneer. He took those with him to wrestle with later. He's transforming Jack. He's not killing. He's becoming. Becoming what? The Red Dragon. He sent a message to Jack to forego someone finding the ties to different red dragons, because a quick search on Google gave him exactly what he needed. The great red dragon and the woman clothed in sun. William Blake was the artist, and Will stared at the photos online for a long time, something funny twisting and constricting in his chest. He chewed on the pen cap he'd absconded with from the FBI. He thought of Freddy and slopped coffee all over the saucer by his laptop. Flickers of angry embers occasionally lighting up at the thought of her smug, unruffled face. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars, and she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born, he murmured. 
He blew on the coffee, took a sip, and grimaced. He'd added too many coffee grounds. Some got through the filter and stuck to his tongue. Soul Stealer probably didn't like his name written like that in the news, seeing as how he saw himself as the Great Red Dragon instead. Rather, that he was becoming the Great Red Dragon. He needed to see it in person. He needed to walk in Soul Stealer's shoes, see what he first saw that made him think as he did. Another quick search showed that one of the watercolors was held at the Brooklyn Museum of Art, while two were in D.C. and another in Pennsylvania. He called Jack to make sure they'd let him in to see it privately, then paced in the room, rocking from heel to toe when he reached the wall before turning and pacing back. He considered calling Molly, but after his close brush with Lecter earlier in the day, he felt that it was best if he didn't. She didn't deserve that. What had he told Beverly? It was a choice to choose the soulmate. What a load of shit. That, or he was weak. Better yet, he was weak. If Saul left Beverly, it was because he was an asshole. If Will kept lying to Molly, it was because he was an asshole. Fair was fair. There was no one better at self-deprecation than Will Graham. He lay in bed for a long time, staring at the ceiling and thinking about the woman clothed in sun. He wondered if Soul Stealer thought that the woman he changed were being elevated to a place in heaven much like that, or if in his becoming they were being stolen away to hell. Brooklyn Museum of Art boasted a glorious fan of stairs where people liked to pose for wedding photos, homecoming photos, and apparently soulmate bonding photos. The last was made painfully obvious when just inside the doors, satin streamers lined floor to ceiling with 100 years of souls emblazoned along their fronts. At the desk, a cheery receptionist greeted him with two baby blues, one of them two shades lighter than the other. Are you here for 100 years of souls? She asked happily. Just behind her, a tour guide was herding a small group of couples across the rich marbled floor, each one paired off with their matching eyes and mouths wide with anticipation. He grimaced at the display, making money off of chemical pairings. It was about as sickening as Valentine's Day to him, taking something that was, at best, a cringe-inducing attempt at romance and mass-marketing it for the sake of profit. I'm Dr. Will Graham, he said, forcing himself to look away from the group, and I'm here to see... Oh, right, right. I have a note here for you. Let me just... She rolled about behind the desk, gathering a pamphlet and a visitor's pass up in a neat bundle, passing it back to him. There we are. Mr. Wessler will see you downstairs. Thank you. If you have time after, Dr. Graham, you should really see the exhibit. It just launched last week, and it's amazing. They even study soulmate violence depicted in the art, and it's just wow. Wow. Donna Smith's work from the 60s is featured, and so is the burning times for soulmates in Europe. It's just... wow. Wow, Will echoed. It was cooler going into the basement, and if Mr. Wessler was a fan of 100 Years of Souls, he said nothing about it. For that, Will was glad. When the door dinged and opened to a room of muted colors and low lights, he stepped out and looked around for the director that told Jack they'd discuss the artwork with him. The back of his neck prickled at the silence. Uneasily, he walked around the corner to rows upon rows of tables, but there was no director, just a measly binder laid out with a bare page. Will stared down at the bare page, the notation at the bottom boasting the great red dragon and the woman clothed in sun, William Blake, watercolors. There was no watercolor there, though. It was a blank page with a dour light on it, and when there was the distinct sound of a body hitting the floor, he turned and ran to the elevator, pulse spasming. He never reached it. 
Strong, capable hands lifted Will and launched him back, sending him flying into one of the tables where he flipped and fell to the other side on his hands and knees. Wheezing out of breath, he had the disorientating feeling of being lifted by the back of his jacket, and he was thrown again, slamming into the pole in the center of the room, cracking the back of his head against it. It felt much like an egg cracking against the crown of his skull. A warm pain oozed and slithered down his neck and spine, dots dancing before his eyes. When the spots cleared, the visage of a man stuttered towards him, first to one side, then another. Out of the corner of his eye, Will dazedly noted the security guard slumped to the floor. Who? He managed to slur, but the man's hands were around his neck, squeezing. In his entire life, Will Graham had only been choked once before, much against his will. It had been unpleasant then, and when thumbs dug into his windpipe, he decided that it was just as unpleasant now. He gasped in a short breath and swung his arms around, letting momentum slam his forearms into the man's elbows, releasing his throat. He doesn't hesitate, rearing forward and headbutting him, a snarl of anger rippling past his lips. At the sound of the assault, the man stumbled back, surprised. He had short, cropped blonde hair, and two dazed brown eyes blinked wildly, panicked, cornered, an animal that didn't know where to go. One Will's watering eyes fell to the barely noticeable cleft palate, blood trickling at the corner of his lips. The man bolted, racing towards the elevator. When the ringing in Will's ears faded, he followed, elbows pumping and breath ripping from him. He had the dragon. He slammed into the elevator as it closed, and he rolled with the force of his momentum, making his way to the stairs and climbing them, every inch of him screaming to go, go, go! That there wasn't time to pause, wasn't time to think, because Soul Sealer was right there and he'd taken the fucking painting with him. When he reached the top, he kicked the door open and raced towards the elevator. His heart stopped, stuttered, then started again. The elevator sat wide open and the man was nowhere in sight. Sir? Is everything okay? The front desk woman hurried over to him, concerned, and she reached to his collar, wiping at it. Fingers came away red, and he stared down at her hand, stained with his failure. Call the police, he demanded hoarsely, fat fingers fumbling for his phone. Tell them the soul stealer was here. One hundred years of souls was closed for the day, and Jack Crawford had the place on lockdown. The receptionist hadn't recalled the man running from the elevators, but enough cameras were there to give them a good shot of just how he'd gotten away. He'd come out of the elevator, calm, then booked through the crowd the moment he was outside, using shoulders as a way to propel himself far ahead of Will. He had the unfortunate advantage of not having his head knocked in with a dizzying effect. They did get his spit, though, and they also got his blood. Will sat at the back of an ambulance, letting them get a good look at his head for the umpteenth time. It was a flesh wound, but it was tender to the touch, and he resisted the urge to snap and grumble as they cleaned the blood out of his hair. I really urge you to go and get a scan, the paramedic said. It's fine, Will retorted. He was here, Jack crowned out, ignoring the exasperated glance the paramedic sent his way. He was here and he got away. His pacing made Will want to pace. His toe tapped in time with Jack's about face as he said, He ate the picture. He ate it? Wessler was only out for a minute, but he got the footage pulled up before you got here. He knocked out the director, Miss Stunpike, and he ate the painting. I wonder how much that dinner cost, Beverly asked. She hovered in front of Will, dabbing at the place on his head that he'd made contact with the killer's mouth. When he realized that it was wet from spit and a bit of blood, having gotten a good crack at him, he left it well enough alone until she could get her hands on it. 
Once they confirmed the DNA match, the only thing left would be to catch the bastard. Enough that he didn't leave a tip, Zeller quipped. The tip was not to get in his way when he was trying to make a getaway, Price said brightly. A pause. Sorry, Graham. Did you look up Dolarahide? Will asked, ignoring Price. See, now that's the problem, Beverly began, and Jack swore under his breath. He walked back over to Will and planted his hands on his hips. Will peeked up at his subtly mismatched eyes expectantly, then focused on the gray by his temple. He was dead, Jack said curtly. Dead? Will rolled his bottom lip in, wet it, and shook his head. The words didn't sit right. Dead was too easy a failure. People like Soul Stealer didn't just die. Dying was easy. Dying was the easy way out. He resisted the urge to rub the aching scar tissue to the side of his neck. Dead. Deceased in a fire a year or so ago. We found his wife, Reba, and she said he had some kind of psychotic break, shot himself in the head, and burnt the house down with her in it. No, Will said, and he shook his head. Well, yes. Then we looked up his photo to confirm, and you know what we saw, Will? Ah, there it was. When the paramedic left him with a painkiller and a bandaged head, he rolled the plastic bottle about in his hands and nodded, already knowing. You saw the man that ate the painting. We saw the man that ate the painting, Jack affirmed. His lips sucked in tight, like he'd tasted a bad lemon. He faked his death. The great red dragon and the woman clothed in sun is a Revelations reference, Beverly said, and Will bobbed his head, agreeing with that too. He should have referenced Lazarus instead, Price joked. I wonder why he didn't take her eyes, Will said thoughtfully. After a thought, it dawned on him. A one-sided soulmate? She's blind, so we'd have to run tests to tell. Even with the soulmate connection, a blind eye doesn't change color. She'd have known he was alive if it was a full connection. We should test it to see if she's helping him at all. Even saying it, though, it didn't sit right with Will. He took a long gulp of water, crushing the plastic in his hands as he did. He capped it and let it keep a distorted, crumpled shape and slosh the water around idly. He loves her. Bad way of showing it, Jack snapped. Good way of showing it, Will disagreed. He thought they were meant to be, but he didn't feel her. He connected to her, but his tasteless thoughts didn't resonate in her. He knew she was too good, so he left to save her from him. That's why he longed for a soulmate, even though he was listed as having a soulmate. You know that just by getting smacked around by him? Zeller wondered. He went to Lecter for therapy for a short while. He wanted a connection, and he wondered what it'd take for someone to see him the way he wanted to be seen. Great. Powerful. Capable. Will cast Zeller a dark look. His head hurt too damn bad for him to have to explain himself. He's got a cleft palate, and he's been presumed dead for a few years. So it's going to be hard to find, Jack mused. He knows how to hide. Why'd he eat the painting? Maybe to take its power, Beverly suggested. Some people believe ingesting something you long for will bring it to you. Power, intelligence, preservation. He's pumping himself up for the next attack, Will said. I don't know if he's going to last the month until he strikes again. As an afterthought, he'll look me up to see who he was throwing around down there. He'll know we're close. I want to know how you were able to time that so well, Will, Jack said. I'm trying to keep you out of the front lines, and somehow you find your way back in all over again. You're a psychiatrist, not an FBI agent. It's a flesh wound, Will assured him. The throbbing in his skull disagreed, but he didn't want to worry anyone. He thought about Molly fussing over it, cotton swab mopping up the worst of it. She'd try and ice it, and he'd complain about the cold. 
Reba would have probably done the same for Francis Dolara Hyde. In the end, he left because he loved her. Maybe he was a better man than Will. Dolara Hyde would leave for love. Beverly would stay for love. And Will wasn't quite sure what the hell he was going to do. He's not Francis Dolara Hyde anymore. Will realized after a moment, drumming fingers on the water bottle. He killed him in the house as it burned down. In his head, he's the red dragon now. If this is giving you flashbacks too, it's fine, he snapped. And he stood up from the ambulance, stuffing his hands into his pockets. He'd let the paramedic recycle the bottle, rather than he waste it in a trash can. In his guts, a kernel of concern flickered distractingly, and he gritted his teeth. Hannibal had felt his wound as it happened, felt the pain as though it were his own. Good. I'm going to drive back to Baltimore. Now that we know who it is, I think Lecter will open up a bit more. I think you should take the day off, Jack said, and Will brushed past him, shaking his head. Red Dragon doesn't sleep, neither do I he'd said. You feeling okay, Dr. Graham? Matthew asked when he arrived at the BSHCI. Will nodded, fumbling with his keys and stuffing them into his jacket. Another round of painkillers and water left his head a minor nuisance rather than a true pain. Peachy. Matthew Brown nodded, leading him down the steps towards Maximum, his eyes shifting to the side every now and again to note the bandage on his head. Will felt his concern like a bristled brush on a sunburn. He had two matching green eyes. You look like you should be in a hospital. After this, I'll probably head to one, Will lied. He'd probably go to the hotel, in truth. Rage a little. Try not to drink. Maybe call Molly. Maybe not. You do that, Matthew urged, and he waved the security guard to open the doors. We wouldn't want anything to happen to you, if you don't mind my saying so. Will minded him saying so, but he wouldn't say that. Matthew was only speaking out of concern, and a polite concern at that. Lecter was pretending to nap when Will sat down in the chair, and he took that time to take a breath. The painkillers took most of the throbbing ache away, but standing left him feeling dizzy, woozy. He hadn't been handled like that in a long time, and he didn't like how slow he'd been to react. The last time he'd gotten physical with a psychopath, he'd been far more limber. You should have your brain scanned to ensure that everything is all right. Lecter drawled, eyes closed. His hands were clasped behind his head, legs crossed at the ankles. It was a casual, comfortable state, and the suddenness of his voice made Will jump slightly, looking up from the table leg that he'd been focusing on rather than the feeling of Red Dragon throwing him across a table. It's fine. Who handled you so roughly, Will? You know exactly who, he snapped, rubbing his eye. He looked from Lecter's elegant repose to the drawings on the wall. The great red dragon, Lecter murmured as he sat up, turning on the cot to face the wall rather than look at Will. Will watched his hands grip the edge of the bed, tight. You saw him then? He saw me first. Do you know what he is referencing when he calls himself that? Lecter looked at him, the edges of his lips curled ever so slightly. It was a three-hour drive there and a three-hour drive back from Blake's artwork. Will said, ignoring the expression of subtle delight. Three hours back, and I thought to myself, that timing was too good. Somehow, he knew I'd be there, and Soul Stealer tried to be there first, before me, to size me up, to eat me. Does it still hurt? Lecter wondered. Then I thought, I bet Dr. Lecter found a way to warn him, and he wanted to see what I'd do when I saw him face to face. And what did you do? I thought, 
he set me up to potentially get killed. Did you look into his eyes and see your own reflected back? Lecter stood and crossed to the bars, head cocked to the side. I wondered, why in the hell would he do that? Will ignored him, biting his thumb idly as he stared at the hip of his jumpsuit. Then I thought, because he wanted to see what would happen, he was curious. Are you very angry with me, Will? Hannibal asked kindly. No, Will admitted, but I'd been wondering about us before. I thought about Molly, and I thought about her forgiving me for being connected to you. She would, because she's better than me. That lends itself the thought that perhaps that's why you're not soulmates, said Hannibal gravely. Yeah, Will agreed, nodding. He looked to the slip-on shoes Hannibal wore, because no one was stupid enough to give him Velcro, what with the plastic tabs. Yeah, she's better than me. But I thought, maybe I can make the soulmate's connection work, because separation is cruel and unusual punishment in some states, and I didn't want to give you a leg up in the justice system. I visit regularly, and I keep things calm. I thought, maybe this will work. I don't think I care much about that anymore. Baltimore doesn't have the cruel and unusual punishments clause that most other states have for soulmates whose partners refuse to visit them in prison. It was overturned four years ago. Will spoke with a flat, toneless voice, like he'd recited the words several times until the sting fell out of them. Somehow, the lack of emotions was more fitting, since he saw the subtle ways that it took effect on Hannibal's face. His lips thinned, compressed tightly. The fine lines near his eyes deepened, the expression stiffening. It wasn't Jack Crawford's puckered face at the thought of Soul Stealer getting away, but it was the exact reaction Will had been hoping for as he drove back from Brooklyn white-knuckled as he gripped the steering wheel and took deep, calming breaths. "'You plan on catching your killer and returning to your Molly as a white knight?' Hannibal asked, a dark expression crossing his face. "'I plan on going back to Molly and leaving you behind,' Will said amiably. "'A dangerous threat, Will,' Hannibal warned him. "'See, I was thinking about you, and you're right, Hannibal. We have a lot in common.' "'Clearly,' Will gritted his teeth. The difference between you and me is our willingness to commit violence. Do you think you're above that curiosity, dear Will? Hannibal asked lightly. The tone didn't match the expression on his face. When Will shifted in his chair, his predatory eyes tracked the movement. No, not at all. I'm curious to see just how my absence affects you. I'm curious what you'll do. Don't you fear how I'll find a way to hurt you again? No, Will shrugged. You knew I'd come here. You knew, so you endured feeling my pain, because you'd see me and be reassured. Soulmate connections receive emotional comfort in a variety of ways. Auditory, visually, and tactilely, mainly. Any of these have the capacity to release endorphins. And that's how you could handle the feeling of the back of your head cracking against concrete. What happens when I don't come back, though? As wonderful as the feeling of endorphins released can be, there are other chemicals released when the feeling of pain is not eased, through any of those three senses. Just like endorphins can cause pleasure, the chemical imbalance of serotonin, dopamine, and anephrine are just as potent. You think you're going to give me anxiety if I hurt you at a distance? Hannibal's lips curled derisively. No, I know that. Simple science. Will shrugged, drumming his fingers along his leg. You think, I'll get used to it. But unlike endorphins, which create a rush that you crave as it abates, the imbalance that causes the anxiety doesn't abate. Time doesn't take away the sting. If anything, it grows. Then what is our difference in willingness to commit violence, dear Will? 
I've had to reconcile myself with the feeling I get in hurting people. My ability to understand and commit violence, Will said, standing up. He walked over to the bars, just far enough away that if Lecter reached, he couldn't get a hold of him. I know the dark parts of myself, which is why I don't want anyone else digging around in my mind. And I've come to understand that doing something bad to bad people feels really, really good, Will whispered to him. Well, you see the world as a slaughterhouse. I see people like you, and I relish in just how good it'd be to hurt you. Silence, and the distance between them, something curled and twisted, unpleasant but wonderful in of itself. Will looked up to Lecter's mismatched eyes, and he grinned, a snarling, nasty expression that made his eyes narrow wolfishly. Hannibal looked a breath away from throwing himself against the bars to haul Will close. He looked a breath away from eating him. He looked a breath away from fucking him. Will moved, and he was right against the bars, hands reaching to grasp Hannibal's chin tightly, tugging him closer. Hannibal didn't fight the motion, and there was a small thread of surprise when he instead took a deliberate step to Will, allowing him to grip his face so roughly, so unkindly. His eyes flashed with something akin to pleasure. You're so sly, but so am I, Will murmured, taunting. Don't mistake my kindness up to this point as weakness. Don't ever fuck with me like that again, Hannibal. His thumb dragged against Hannibal's bottom lip roughly, fingers curling along the stubble of his jaw. Like I said before, I'd kill myself if it meant you suffered. In this moment, I find you at your most beautiful, Hannibal murmured, and he nipped the tip of his finger, almost hard enough to break skin. If Will didn't know any better, he'd have called it flirtatious, playful. I wonder how Molly would see you. Will didn't answer, leaving the statement suspended in the air like the clouds of smoke he'd watched the man puff away at the day before, the discontent ruminating and spreading. The difference was, when the heavy door slammed shut behind him, the poison stayed on the other side of the door. More or less, 